thanks so much, Beth. Such a warm face. I've been, I guess, guest teaching here for quite a while, and um, she's like, when I think about Renaissance Church, I think of her, her face. She is the face that I see every time I come to the stairs, and so warm, so wonderful. And I have to say, you know, it's a big task to fill in Paul's jokes on this stage, so you, you fill big shoes this morning. How many of you um, put out an nativity, sort of a nativity set somewhere around your house in the Christmas season? Show of hands. Great, six of you. No, I think it's probably closer to like 20% of you. Um, how many of you that raised your hands, is your nativity still up? Brilliant. So sweet baby Jesus still hanging still doing his sweet baby thing there, wherever that is. My nativity's still up as well. It's still actually technically Christmas tied in the, tr- in the church calendar, so uh, no problems there. Um, but I, I want to read this passage because it has a lot to do with where we're going this morning. Luke chapter 2, verse 52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. Let me read this again. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. Eventually the baby in your stable, in your little manger, in your home, eventually that baby that we adore on Christmas grew out of the manger and into maturity. That's what happened. And this text carries with it all sorts of questions regarding how we perceive Jesus. When you look at this text, it raises all sorts of controversies that the church has hashed out over the course of of years, of of millennia. The question of who is Jesus? Who is this child that was in the manger that we welcomed on Christmas Day? And I would call the ways in which we perceive this child's existence, how this child would grow up and become a very controversial and very famous figure, very poor, and yet 2,000 years later, we still remember him. Some of us worship him. Some of us call him Savior. Others of us are in different places. I want to talk about four stances briefly that we have toward this child, Jesus. The first stance is this. It's a stance of suspicion. That when we think about who this child grew up to be, some of you are in this room or know many people that question Jesus. They question, is he really that? Could that really happen? Is that really plausible? And you spend your entire life hashing out debate and argument about this question about who is Jesus. In other words, you never really land anywhere. You're just kind of always in theory and wondering and curious, but never making a decision one way or the other. Some of you are in a place of admiration, the same way you might feel toward Gandhi, or the same way you might feel toward Mother Teresa, or it's a sense of a deep respect for Jesus, the teacher, the healer, perhaps the prophet, right? Uh, and, and I think both of these, what they share in common, both suspicion and admiration, is that they're both cultural stances. In other words, you don't have to really care about the church or be a part of anything where there's gatherers of Jesus that are trying to live out his ways. It's sort of a cultural stance that, that you can have these stances without having any deeper commitments to this Jesus. You can be suspicious or you can even admire, but it doesn't require much of you putting one foot in front of the other, saying, wow, that's something I should take seriously. But then there's this other stance, beyond cultural stances. And one of them would be what we'd call adoration, where we come and we worship Jesus, where we're thankful for what Jesus has done on our behalf, that we might be reconciled with God through the cross and resurrection, where Jesus is the Savior of your life, right? 
But then there's this fourth stance that goes deeper and deeper and deeper still. And it's the stance of imitation. That you don't ever leave adoration, but your adoration leads you to a place where it's not enough just to worship this Jesus. It's not enough to merely admire this Jesus. It's actually saying, I'm called to imitate the kind of life through the empowerment of the Spirit that this child would grow up and model out for me. It's when you begin to take the words, follow me, very seriously in your life. The the phrase the church has for this over the centuries is the word discipleship. And what's different about these two stances from the first two is that it's relational. There's a spiritual relationality to your experience of this Jesus. Somehow Jesus is in our midst. Somehow Christ is in our midst through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I want to humbly suggest that most Christians in America looking at these bottom two categories, or these bottom two words of adoration and imitation, most Christians in America would take adoration rather seriously, but imitation rather sparingly. Most Christians would say, yeah, I can get behind a Jesus that I would call the Savior of the world, but I don't live a life that models that Jesus is actually Lord of my existence, that I submit my desires, my will, my dreams to this Jesus who knows my longings and what I need even more than I do. Which leads us back to the passage this morning. That Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, and in divine and human favor. Which leads to this question. Are we not called to follow his steps toward growth, toward maturity, and toward Christ-likeness? Think about this metaphorically. How many Christians in America have been going to church for years, yet metaphorically their lives are still in the manger? Not only have they kept Jesus there as this child, but we ourselves have ceased to really grow out of being childish and into the deeper ways of what Jesus calls us into. I love the words of Jen Giles Kemper from Nashville. She's a writer and she says, while many are setting goals and intentions for the new year, both seem to have limits when it comes to establishing lasting habits and rhythms that help you become rather than merely do. And so it seems fitting on this January 3rd, this first Sunday of the new year, that it would somehow impinge on sort of some of the things that we're doing around this time of year, such as setting New Year's resolutions. And I love New Year's resolutions. I get really into New Year's resolutions. I'm all for them, except that they rely so heavily on willpower, which means that by about January 15th, we become busy and stressed and tired And before you know it, the way we were so inspired on New Year's Eve of how this year was going to be different, we're exhausted two weeks in and we're back to the old habits that we had originally found ourselves in. And so this Sunday, I want to do something different. I've been teaching here for a while. Hopefully by now, if you're new, this wouldn't be the case for you. If you've been around, hopefully by now I have some level of trust that I'm committed to the scriptures. I'm committed to the way of Jesus. And I want to move from just teaching this morning to guiding you through a process. A process that's going to give you clarity 
about what it is in this next year that you're really longing for beyond aesthetics, beyond dieting, beyond sort of all of the things on the outside, which aren't bad things at all because the body matters, but looking deeper and deeper within into the nature of character. And so I want to do something that few pastors in the 21st century have ever dared do. I want to invite you to pull out your phones and maybe turn it on sleep mode just so you're not distracted. Open up some sort of note file if you have it. If you're like me and you prefer sort of like non-techie things during church, there's note cards in some of the seats with pens. You can grab one of those. If you see one, just ask someone to pass it down to you if you'd rather write this out. Because we're going to have times where I teach and then I'll stop and we'll reflect for a minute or two. And then I'll teach and then we'll stop and you'll reflect for a minute or two. And you'll be sketching out some ideas along and along. Because research has proven that learning is enhanced when we go beyond passive listening and begin to actively engage with the material and we siphon it through, what might God be saying to me through this? Or if you're visiting and you're sort of questioning this whole thing, what, might, what am I urged to think this could happen in my life or I need more of this? And so what I want to do is I want to take you in four directions this morning. I want to take you through a, a process of assessment, a process of reflection, a process of practices, and a process of rhythms. And we're going to do that in about 25 minutes or less. So let's begin with assessment. And we're going to begin with assessment in terms of looking at the fruit of the Spirit. I taught on this a little bit this summer. And the fruit of the Spirit is basically fruit of character. It's, 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 what it, it's very different than aesthetics, which most of our New Year's resolutions are wired around. It's deeper than that. It looks into the heart of who you are. And these sort of words come up, they, they jump off the page of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. And the reason they're called the fruit of the Spirit, let's just make it clear, it's the fruit of the Spirit of God. The reason they're called the fruit of the Spirit is because this is who God is like. I know we all come from different sort of backgrounds, and we assemble in this room with different understandings and perceptions about who we think this God is. Scripture says that if you want to know what God is like, well, in Colossians, you see, look to Christ because he is the image of the invisible God, that Jesus reveals God. But these attributes are the nature of God. And what the Christian tradition tells us is that when we receive Christ and invite the Holy Spirit into our lives, the Spirit lives at the core of our being. And over the course of time, as we, as we surrender and we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our life, we begin from the inside out to become more like this, that you are designed to resemble God. It's how we're unique in the animal kingdom, that through the sending of the Spirit to dwell in us, we change from the inside out. And so what I want us to do in this assessment is I want you to look at the fruit of the Spirit. And I want you to begin to get curious. If you had to lift one off the screen. Now, if you had to bolden one more than the others. I know if you're like me, you look at all of them, you're like, yes, more of all of that, God. More of that. But if you had to just look at one and said, in 2016, I would really love to see growth in my character in this way. I'm going to lead you through a process in the next few minutes of getting clear about that and understanding how you can begin to move into that. Because a lot is at stake when it comes to this conversation. I think sometimes the, the easiest way to identify, if you look at that, you might say, gosh, I'm not sure exactly which one. 
I'm not actually sure which fruit of the Spirit I would focus on. Sometimes it's easier to identify an area of growth based on its opposite. So maybe instead of just looking at the fruit of the spirits, let's look at their inversions. Let's look at their opposites, which I would call the weeds of the ego that correspond to each fruit. Now, this isn't exhaustive by any means. And maybe what you feel like the character in you that God's really calling you to grow in isn't even on this screen. Maybe it's in another list in the scripture or wherever. But let's just use this as a way of starting. So let's look at this. When we think about the weeds of the ego, what's the inverse of love? The inverse of love is self-absorption. It's self-preoccupation. It's pride, really. I mean, that's the inverse of love. And maybe that's what God is calling you more into, is seeing outside of yourself. Or maybe it's joy, especially in a world riddled with cynicism and discontent. Maybe it's a year for you where God is saying and whispering to your heart, it's time for you to really grow in joy beyond circumstances, beyond all of the things that you bring happiness to move into deeper realms of experiencing my joy in you. Or maybe for you it's peace where there's fear and anxiety or perhaps there's envy of ways that everyone else around you seems to be succeeding outside of you and you're just like, there's just not a peace to your life. I know for many of us, we wrestle with fear of fictitious situations that haven't happened, that we fear happening, and we live sort of with that always in the back of our minds, and it makes us anxious. Or perhaps for you, it's not fear, but it's patience, where the inverse of patience is what lies beneath sort of the, the, the surface level of our areas is deep anger, right, that comes out in the form of impatience. Or maybe it's being assumptive in life. If you're anything like me, it is so easy to assume what someone is going to say or why they did something specifically and to assume their motives and to begin to attack them or to act as if that assumption is true. And we become impatient in life. Or maybe for you it's kindness. Where for so long you just really wrestle with a critical spirit. Where there's sort of this this smooth anger, or perhaps there's sarcasm that's just riddled in your language that actually hurts people we're not even aware of. I know I'm so guilty of that. When I think about kindness in my life and how I long to see God move, I think one of the ways in which I'm wired is I'm very analytical by nature. I'm very critical. I can walk into a room, assess it, analyze it, critique it. And I don't want to apologize for that because part of that's the way God has made me and maybe it's the way God has made you. But there's a very big difference between having a critical mind and having a critical spirit. It's a very big difference. It's one thing to be able to walk into a room and analyze a room and assess it and figure it and sort it out. It's another thing that everywhere you go, you have a critical spirit toward life. It's always sort of condemning and tearing things down and deconstructing them because there's insecurity somewhere underneath that needs to feel superior to what you're experiencing. Does that make sense? Maybe for you it's not kindness, perhaps it's goodness. And what's underneath goodness, the scripture paints this as a, as a way of justice, as a way of looking out toward the other. Maybe there's greed that just sort of absorbs your life. And it's hard to get away from position and possessions. That greed just kind of, you keep falling into the trap that if I just have more, if I can just gain more in my life, then finally I'll be happy, right? What sort of greed runs your life. And it even drives you maybe to make unethical decisions to get what you want, right? This idea of goodness. 
or gentleness. The inverse of gentleness is being harsh. It's being quick. It's so evident with your children when this is sort of like everyone around just assumes like, oh, really great guy, really pleasant woman. But you know that somewhere deep in there, it is so easy to be harsh, to be quick. And what's ironic about that is that it's often with the people that we claim we love the most. It's often with our spouse. It's often with our parents that we're called to honor. Where often we will find the sort of quick, harsh judgment and assessment and write them off and not understand that they're in our lives because we're designed to love them. We're designed to grow with them. We're designed to help one another in this life. Maybe for you it's not gentleness, maybe it's faithfulness, which the inversion of that would be fickle and inconsistent, where you're just constantly moving from one thing to the next rather than settling in something and seeing it through. Or perhaps you live like a chameleon, You're basically who you are, depending on the context that you're in. And the last would be self-control. And the inversion of self-control is indulgence, being lustful. Addictive personalities often fall into this one saying, I long for more self-control. You know when you show up to an AA meeting, the greatest commonality of of that meeting is that their lives are out of control. And the reality of it is, most of our lives somewhere are out of control where we've just sort of lost any sense of being bridled and being disciplined. And we just kind of play out to maxims in our life, right? I love this phrase from Plutarch, the first century Greek historian, because if you've yet to sort of assess which one of these is jumping off the screen for me, listen to this. Deeds need not mean great and noble displays of bravery, of strength. Listen, a slight thing like a phrase or a jest, often reveal more of a person's character than the battles where thousands fall. I like that phrase, the slight things, the jests. It's often not the big things, like, oh, I need to work on love, because that big, it's often the little cracks and fissures in your life that end up dismantling something over the course of time. Where are you noticing little cracks and little fissures where perhaps in 2016, God really longs to do a deep work of character in you, to say, I long for you to become like me in patience. I long for you to get out of the trap of anger that maybe was modeled out for you in your youth or in your past, and to be free of that and to not pass it on to the next generation. I long for freedom in your life. It's all those sort of interior conversations that are happening inside of your mind that no one has access to but you. And they come out when people cut us off, right? Or when we have to wait in line. Or when our kids make demands on us that interfere with my freedom to do what I want as a dad. That's when I'm really confronted with some of these things. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask that we just bring up some music. And this music's just going to play throughout the whole of the rest of the service. It's just simple. It's basically to keep you from hearing the stomach growling and the person next to you, right? So what I'm going to do is just kind of lead you through one and two minute just sit, sit moments where you can reflect, where you can record on your phone or on paper, and just getting clear. Having sort of a record where maybe a year from now you say, it wasn't because of some teacher, because of some band or song, but the Spirit of God actually met me on this day 
I jotted out things that I felt prompted were happening inside of me. And from there, life took a total new direction. And I began to seek breakthrough. And we think back a year from now to this day, where it was actually a pretty seminal moment in your life, sort of huge flagship moment where God began to steer you in a new direction. And it's not governed by willpower and aesthetics and you kind of knuckling it through, but saying, God, I'm sensing this is what you're wanting to do in me throughout surveying things happening in my life and I wanna say yes to it. And so I wanna guide you through that process for the next 15 minutes. So I want you to take two minutes and I just want you to get clear and jot it down. Which one of these do you feel is lifting more off the screen than the others? You might ask this question, Holy Spirit, where do you seek to do a deeper work in my life this year? Let's be reflective and let's record for two minutes what's coming up for you. Like I said, maybe it's not on this screen. Maybe there's something else specific that's coming up for you. Don't be sort of hemmed in by what's on the screen. Let's move into the second part, which is reflection. A friend of mine who's a professor at Oxford, his name's Oz Guinness, and uh, he says this in his recent book, what Socrates called the unexamined life that is not worth living now seems to be the life more people have slipped into than ever before. We're so busy so quick. Our schedules are so full that it is so hard to even have a moment to even breathe and to think, what am I feeling? What am I sensing? What am I longing for really? And I I think what better place to do this kind of exercise in church, right? A place where we all come that we can all, I think what binds us all together is we could all honestly confess we're not even close to being perfect. 
We're not even close to having all the answers in life. In fact, most of our lives somewhere are a mess. And so what a beautiful confession that we're sort of in this together, that we all need growth in at least one of these areas to say, I could use a little more patience this year. I could definitely develop that in my life. I need the Holy Spirit to do a deeper work in me in that way this year. I think maybe that's what we share in common. So the next question I want to ask you that we're going to spend only one minute reflecting on is this. God, which area or areas of my life are most affected by this need for specific maturity? So whatever that word was, think about your life. You're, you know you're a holistic being. You're integrated. So when you're stressed in one area, it affects another. Like we don't live these sort of like clear-cut spheres of life that are disjointed from the others. In other words, if you're struggling with stress, maybe there's mental fatigue. Maybe there's disintegration somewhere in your body. When you're struggling with stress or you're struggling with certain things in your life, some of you have your emotions where they're just, they're just fried or they're out of control or they're either suppressed and you just feel like this year, it's just time to get your emotions healthy or it's time to get your mental process healthy because your mind keeps going down all of these roads and you can't seem to control it and it's out of control. Or perhaps there's so much anxiety in your life or whatever's happening that's coming against you, your body's actually beginning to show it. There's actually so much fatigue. In fact, I know for some of us, we think about New Year's resolutions and it's exhausting because you think, man, I do this every year and 2015 wrecked me. And I can't even think about 2016 with any sort of hope. And your body is exhausted. It's because the things that we experience in life, they're not sort of in these different vacuums. We're integrated beings. And so I just want you to get clear for a moment. Check in with yourself and ask yourself, where is there the most fatigue right now in your life? In your mind? In your emotions? In your body? And where might growth in this area bring restoration to one or more of those areas. That if you could truly grow in this area, there would be breakthrough in this part of who I am. So let's get clear on that for a minute and just assess your overall health with your minds, your emotions, and your body. Let's take one minute. happens is the deeper you grow in your awareness, the stronger your convictions become. And I think part of us, at least if you're anything like me, when you stay busy, you don't have to become aware of what you're feeling. And if you don't become aware of what you're feeling, then you don't have to change anything. You can keep everything going on all the plates in the air and keep them spinning. 
But when we stop and we reflect, it can strengthen our conviction that I can't keep doing this. I can't keep this pace. I can't keep going this direction because there's, because there's too much at stake. And what we find over the course of time is that whatever area of growth that you're sensing God really wanting to work in your life in this new year, whatever area that might be, I love this image of the fruit of the Spirit because it means that your life isn't just about you. Your growth isn't just about you. That fruit is about other people. As your life begins to mature, as the Holy Spirit comes into more and more maturity in your life, and you submit and you walk with the Spirit in life, what happens is others begin to taste what God is doing in your life. In other words, you begin to show up more loving in certain environments where you didn't previously. You end up showing up more patient in your marriage. You end up showing up more peaceful in your friendships. You end up showing more good as a boss or whatever it is, as a mother. Your growth is not just about you. Your growth is actually designed to reflect God into the world because these are fruits of his spirit in you. And it makes us kinder and more loving and more generous. And so let's get clear about this. If you were to grow, here's the question I want to ask, and I want to give you one minute. If you were to grow in this area, how might that affect the environment, the people, the person? Who is one person, a group of people, or an environment that if you were to grow in that area, it would really be good news for them? Or it would really be good news for this thing over here? That your growth actually has an exponential impact on the people around you. So I want you just to name. I want you to record one person or a handful of people or a specific environment that would really benefit from your growth in this area. Let's take one minute. Let's check in. How are we doing? Is this music putting anyone to sleep yet? We've got five more minutes. We're going to fly through these last two. We've talked about assessment. We've talked about reflection. Let's sort of begin to land the plane and hit the cement. Let's talk about practices. Because character isn't just formed in the land of ideas. We eventually have to participate with God in practices. Spiritual disciplines aren't these sort of arbitrary religious things that we do to look righteous. There are things that we do that inside it begins to change us and it develops new habits in us over the course of time. I'll give you a list of practices. There's so many more than this, but here's just a few I'll walk through. And what I want you to be thinking as I'm doing this is, where is that attribute that you're looking for growth? 
Where does it intersect perhaps with one or two of these practices to say, wow, if I really took that practice serious in my life, I wonder what could change in me over the course of time. Again, we're not running sprints here. We're running a marathon. Over the course of time, God loves process. God came to earth as a baby and grew in process over the course of time. Mysterious. So let's look at these. Let's look at Sabbath, right? I'm not going to go into depth in this, but for you to take seriously intentional rest, getting away from email, getting away from social media, having a day that truly is sacred and set apart from the other days, where you can really be with the people around you, you can really be with yourself and with the Lord and focus on listening and paying attention in life. Or what about prayer? Maybe this is the year where you really learn to pray because prayer is so easy and yet prayer is so hard. And maybe there's an elder here you should talk to or a pastor, maybe Clay or Michael, that you just need to seek, say, teach me to pray. I don't know how. And when I begin, it seems that I'm not very good at it, right? Prayer takes time and it's so hard. Or maybe it's the scriptures. Maybe perhaps you've actually never read for yourself the life and ministry of Jesus. You just always relied on someone to teach it to you or you go to church. And this is the year where you really learn about who Jesus was, about what he did. And you just read the gospels or somewhere in scripture. And I know for some of you, it's so, scripture can feel so distant and archaic. Where do you even begin? Maybe you could talk to Claire Michael or an elder here and say, teach me to read the scripture. How do we do it? How do we actually do it in a way that connects with everyday life? Or maybe for you, it's generosity. Maybe it's financial. It's time for you to get away from all of the stress and all of the strain and worry that if I give this away, I won't have enough to really test God and to say, I choose to trust you. Or maybe it's hospitality when it comes to generosity. Some of you have been wired and gifted with gathering people together in a kitchen or a dining room and blessing them. And maybe this is a year where you say once a month, I'm gonna intentionally invite people over so that I can bless their lives with hospitality. Being generous. Maybe it's service. This is a year through this church that you begin to serve or there's something happening in a nonprofit in the area where you say, it's time for me to get outside of my self-absorption and to see someone else in need and to serve consistently. Or maybe it's a small group where it's time for you to get into a community and to be known. In fact, one of the first things you should do after this whole thing is to tell someone about what attribute is coming up for you you really want to grow in and to keep you accountable to that. I love what... Ronald Rollheiser says, one of my favorite authors, he says, you cannot correct your life by willpower alone. I mean, what a dagger to the heart of New Year's resolutions. You cannot correct your life, your character, your brokenness, the mess that we find ourselves in, your human propensity to get things wrong in your life. You cannot do that by willpower alone. You need grace and community, he says. Or maybe this is the year where you really take solitude seriously. Some of you are dynamic extroverts and you spend so much time out there with people doing this, doing that, and that's great. But you're actually not aware of what's happening in your own heart. You haven't been attentive to your own soul. And so it's time for intentional solitude at least once a week where you can check in. Maybe this is the year for regular worship where you say, Sundays just bless me. And I just, I'm not committed. I need to be committed to worshiping with the church. Perhaps it's feasting. Some of you that are sort of like prone to melancholy or 
you know, you just kind of rush through life. Sometimes we, we, we cease to mark the days and to celebrate them. And maybe this is a year you say, I need to feast this year. I need to truly feast with people I love and enjoy life, that life is a gift. Or maybe for some of you on the opposite end of the spectrum, it's time to really learn to fast, to give something up for a season and to remember every time you reach for that, whatever it is, to remember God has something better. That that's good, but there's something greater that God is calling me into. Or maybe it's nature walks, or maybe it's journaling, whatever it is. Maybe it's not even starting something. Maybe it's stopping something, and you want to commit to that practice. So let's take two minutes. Let's say, Lord, what are you calling me to start doing? Or what are you calling me to stop doing? And let's record that answer out and get really specific about a practice. Finally, rhythm. It's one thing to assess and reflect and then get clear about a practice that will develop and cultivate that fruit in your life. But what rhythm will you commit to? In other words, what is a day? What is a time? What frequency? Once a month, once a week, once a quarter, where you would say, this is going into my calendar. This is going to become a sacred thing for me. Something I'm committed to, just like I'm committed to brushing my teeth, hopefully right? Where you're committed to this. It's part, it's wired into your day. It's wired into your month. It's wired into your week. And you're committed to that. I have actually a specific chair that I'm committed to reading in where things happen in that chair. Crazy things happen in my mind, in my heart when I'm in that chair reading. And so I have like a spatial thing that I, I just have certain places where I go and I sit or I do this or that in this place or that place. I just know God will meet me. And I'll be reminded of this commitment over the course of this year. So let's take one final minute. And what would the rhythm be in your life? When might these practices occur for you on a regular basis?
want to say thanks for giving me the opportunity to move beyond teaching and into more guiding. Four things just to recap. Assessment. Started by saying, where is God calling me into greater maturity in my life? Then reflection. What might maturity mean in this area for me and for others? And then practices. How can I grow specifically in this area? And finally, rhythm. When and where should this regularly take place in my life? So we have the where and the what and the how and the when. And we already have heard the why. That in Jesus from Luke 2.52 increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. So church, may we at Renaissance become like him in this way moving beyond just suspicion, beyond admiration, move beyond only adoring, and move into imitating Jesus, that we might grow and develop and mature just as he did and reflect him to the world. Go in peace.